Weena? You didn't. Oh. There you are. What have you found? See, stars. Stars in-house. Nah, Weena. Diamonds. Diamonds under glass. Diamonds? Stones. Stones? So bright. Like stars. Very pretty, yes. Weena smiles. Weena have? Sure. If I can get him out of there. Uh, let's see. Um, ah, this uh, this chair will do it. Here. For Weena. To where? Oh, again, again. Oh, oh. oh uh, careful. Oh, oh, you've cut yourself. Here, hold finger, so. So, fire hurt, Weena. Yes. Come on. Find real fire. Fire here? I hope so, and, and tools. Tools? Yes, to open door. Then you and I, uh, uh, then Weena and Sam, go. Leave Morlocks. Come. The Time Machine, August 14, 2003. A statement of Herbert G. Wells in the matter of the disappearance of his friend Samuel Lyman of the town of Cold Spring. Testimony made in my presence, Detective Johnson, and of two police officers of the town, and recorded by Mabel Milrod, town clerk. Uh, first of all, you have to understand that Sam was something of a recluse. So when he called to invite me over to his house, I was a bit surprised. Uh, this was in January of 2000, right after the big millennium thing, you know. I remember that because he said, I'm going to show you something that will really put this year in the history books. By that, he meant this time machine thing, huh? Well, I suppose so. Now, at any rate, I didn't know what he was talking about at the time. Right. Go on. Well, <clears throat> when I showed up, I discovered that he had invited some other people, too. There was Arliss Kellett who had been our science teacher in high school, and uh, Willie Flores, who used to work with Sam at Bernard's Auto Body. And then there was this guy from the city, Jay Hoffman, his name was. He was a patent attorney or something like that. That's right, and Bernie said good things about you, too. Really? That's great. Come on in. Jay, this is Herb. Hi there. Good evening. Herb edits the local paper, and Arliss Kellett, our former science teacher, recently retired, right? That is correct. Good evening. And this here is Willie Flores, who knows more about your car's onboard computer than the company that built it. Hi, Willie. Hi. In fact, Willie here has been helping me design a device that will bring a whole new dimension to travel, even if he doesn't know what it is we've created. <laughs> That's true. But why don't you make yourselves at home here? Don't mind the clutter. And don't go peeking there, Willie. I'll show you guys what's under the spread in just a moment. All right. All right. But first, you have to listen to what I have to say very closely. And let me warn you that I'm about to turn a few widely accepted ideas on their ears. Sounds right. interesting. First off, the geometry we're all taught in school is based on a misconception. That seems a pretty broad statement to begin with, Sam. I promise I won't ask you to accept anything without a reasonable explanation, Miss Kellett. Now, you know that a line, a line of thickness nil, has no real existence, right? Right. Neither has a geometrical plane. 
these things are merely abstractions. Okay, I'm with you so far. Nor, having only length, breadth, and thickness, can a cube have a real existence. Now, there I object. Of course a solid body may exist. All real things... So have... most people think. But wait a moment. Can an instantaneous cube exist? I don't follow you. Can a cube that does not last for any time at all have a real existence? No. Clearly, any real body must have extension in four directions. Length, breadth, thickness, and duration. Now, because we can see and feel the first three, we tend to draw an unreal distinction between the first three of these dimensions and the fourth dimension, which is time. Have you heard what is being said lately about the fourth dimension? I haven't followed this much since I read Einstein. You mean like that professor, what's his name, Larry Brill at Columbia? Bingo. The curve in the sky. I heard that guy on Newsline. Awesome. I agree. I've been working on four-dimensional geometry myself for several years now. Some of my results are pretty exciting. But wait, if time really is a fourth dimension of space, why has it always been considered as something different? And if it's the same kind of thing as height and width and uh, depth, why can't we move about in time the way we can move in the other dimensions of space? Exactly. The answer is, we can. I mean, for real. But that's impossible. I promised I wouldn't ask you to believe any unreasonable assertion, Arliss, and you can hold me to that. I'll try, anyway. But if I can make something real move in time before your very eyes, will you believe me then? I guess so. Sure. How about the rest of you? Uh-huh. Oh, all right. I'll drive you straight to the U.S. Patent Office myself. <laughs> all right, then. Behold. Let me get a good look at that. Very precise work, whatever it is. Unusual shape. The object Sam showed us had a glittering metallic framework, and it was about the size of a large clock. There was ivory in it, and some transparent crystalline substance. In the center was what looked like a small XP handheld computer. Well? This is only a model, but I believe it is a working model. You can see that this bar appears to pulsate slightly. That's because it holds a powerful ion charge, which is the power supply. You will also notice that the frame is solidly built. In the full-sized machine, a man would sit here. You can see the two control sticks, here and here. Great work, man. It's gorgeous. Thank you, Willie. Willie helped me modify the motherboard in the computer there. So does this model do something? Let's just say, I hope it does. You haven't tested it already? No, I haven't. But, because it took a lot of trouble to build, and because it is too small for anyone to ride on, I have asked you three to witness its operation and tell me what you think. All right. Well, fire it up, man. You mean you really think it will travel in time? I do. But first, take a good look. Look under the table. Don't touch the controls. When you are absolutely satisfied there is no trickery planned, I'll send it off. We all looked at the machine very hard. And I know that, for my part, I had no doubt that the machine was, as Sam would have us believe, a, a real object sitting on a table. Now, if I may borrow your finger then, Herb? Huh? Sure, I guess. Press here. There was a breath of wind, and the little machine suddenly spun around on its base and was seen as a swirl of faintly glittering brass and ivory for perhaps a second or two... And then it was gone. 
It just disappeared. But where did it go? That would be the $64,000 question, wouldn't it? And you want us to believe that that little thing went off traveling in time all by itself? That's right. Into the past or into the future? That I am not absolutely sure of, really. You remember there was that question about the polarity of the ions versus the polarity of the chip. Right. But by moving the two sticks, a person riding the machine can control the direction of travel at will. Only when the two control sticks are together, as you saw them at first, will the machine remain fixed in time. So where is it now? It's still right there, but far in the future or in the past, traveling through time because no one is aboard to return the handles to neutral, as it were. Just meal. I don't have to tell you that if what you're saying is true, your machine's going to be worth a hell of a lot more than $64,000. But how are you going to prove that it works? That's simple, Arliss. I plan to take a ride on a full-sized model next week. Really? Like that? <laughs> you mean... I mean I have a full-sized one almost completed out in the garage. I knew it. I knew you had a second one started. Well, may I take a picture of it for the paper? Next time, Herb, if it works... Right now, I want to invite all of you to return in one week, say, next Tuesday at 6.30. Wouldn't miss it. Me neither. You don't actually seem crazy, Sam, so I'll be there. Thanks, Arliss. I'll leave supper ready. If I am not mistaken, I'll have plenty to tell you. Of course, we all showed up early. Though we needn't have bothered, Sam wasn't there. He had left a note on the front door to say that we should let ourselves in and get comfortable in the event that he was delayed. I can't wait all night. I just hope he's okay. He can't have been gone for long. This food's still warm. And there are sodas. He's not in the garage. And neither is his time machine. Hey, cheesesteak subs. Good old Sam. You sound like you've seen it. Mm, I did. Last week after you all left, he showed it to me. He had a change he wanted me to help him with. What was that? He wanted me to make the control sticks removable. I do machine work for him, too, over at Bernard's. So you saw him last. When exactly? On Saturday? Yeah, Saturday it was. Well, we could call the sandwich place and ask when they saw him. Can't have been long ago. Here's the number. Sam! Well, well, well. Uh, good evening. I'm sorry to have kept you. Is that... Sandwich good, Willie? Mm, sure is. How about you? Are you okay? Uh, I'm fine, thank you. Although I am half-starved for a bit of meat. Pass me over one of those? Sure, here. He sat down at the table with real appetite. I thought I noticed him limping, and I wondered if he was injured. But he clearly didn't want to be asked a lot of questions. Now that's more like it. In fact, the first words out of his mouth after he devoured half his sandwich... We're to silence us all. You must forgive me, but uh, I will not last long enough tonight to argue with any of you. But you gotta uh, tell... I will tell you the story, but I can't argue. I must have time to rest and to think. One word. Have you been time traveling? Yes. <laughs> I've had a truly astonishing adventure, but I guess I'd better start at the very beginning. I went out to the garage at 6 p.m. It was light out, of course. It still is now. And, as I had done many times before, I climbed into the seat of my time machine. Only this time was going to be different. 
I placed my hands on the control sticks and gently moved the right one forward ever so slightly. Then almost immediately I advanced the left one the same amount. I felt like I might faint. And I had that sensation of, of falling you sometimes feel in a dream. And then nothing. But I could see that it was dark outside now. I looked at the clock on the wall and I saw that it read 3.45. Of what day or night? I, I can't be sure, but I thought I noticed things on the workbench looked as they had this morning on entering the place. So I deduced that I had traveled backwards in time to the night previous. So next I steeled myself and pulled the right stick towards me, only this time... I didn't bring the other one alongside it for a long time. Today came back immediately, and I saw Willie here walk into the garage, look around, scratch his head, and walk out. That's right, I did that. Then, tonight came on, tomorrow flashed by, then night again, then day, and I was off into the future for real. As I put on speed, night followed day like the flapping of a black wing. The dim impression of the garage around me seemed presently to fall away, and I could see the light overhead more clearly. I supposed that the garage had been destroyed, and the time machine and I were now sitting in the open air. I wondered what would happen if someone were to build a wall right where I was sitting, somewhere in the future, but quickly put the thought aside for fear that I would lose my nerve and decide to go back. I looked down at my watch and saw that it had hardly advanced past 6.15 since it, like I, was within the field of the machine itself. It would not change, even as I did not. The lunch I had eaten at noon was progressing normally through my bowels, I thought with some odd comfort to myself, and, and not some untasted future meal that I might have eaten had I stopped, when? Several centuries from today. I'm afraid I, I can't convey the peculiar sensation of chronomotion or time travel. I, I did take a small voice recorder with me along with one or two other items, a, a good pocket flashlight and a knife, but I did not have the presence of mind to try recording my impressions while I was actually traveling. It's definitely unpleasant at first, not unlike the discomfort I have experienced from some carnival rides I've been on. After a while, I, I got used to it, though. And then, it began to seem like I was on a small sailboat with a low-level headache and a kind of seasick feeling all the time. I now realized I could see the change in light from summer to winter. I counted these pulsations at about three per second. I couldn't see the moon and the stars at all, however. My immediate surroundings were not invisible to me, but they were mostly an, an indistinct blur. The familiar green of vegetation, trees and shrubs, swirled about me, sometimes quite close, but most of the time at some distance. Soon, a fresh series of impressions grew up in my mind, curiosity mainly, as well as a definite sense of dread regarding the changes in humanity that might have taken place in the ages that flickered before my eyes. And so my mind came round to the business of stopping. The danger of colliding with some object that had been placed in the same space that I wished to occupy had occurred to me before, 
and I had swept the worry aside. Now I began to think that I could never stop safely unless I were to return to the present. But again, I made a conscious effort to put this thought aside. I pushed hard on the left-hand stick. Too hard, probably. The machine whirled about, end over end, and I was flung headlong through the air. There was a clap of thunder close by, and I landed on soft ground. I believe I may have been unconscious for a moment. Then a steady hail began to fall around me, on me, everywhere, and I was immediately soaked to the skin. Uh, uh, oh, damn. Ow. Oh. My machine. There. Doesn't look any worse for wear. Damn, it's wet now. I can't believe I didn't think about the likelihood there'd be rain. Maybe I should uh, cover the machine with my jacket. No, it's, uh, it's no use. The thing is soaked. Ah, I'm so... <laughs> stupid, stupid me. Spent all my time figuring out how to make this thing work and didn't stop to think for one minute what I would do when I got here. <clears throat> well, I know one thing I've got to do. I thought to bring this. Testing. 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 All right. I'm standing on a lawn or in a meadow. It's, it's hard to see. It's raining. Began as hail, the kind that could destroy an entire vintage of grapes where I grew up in, in New York State in, in the 20th century. My watch now says 2.35 a.m. That means I've been traveling for eight hours, the time it takes to fly to Rome. Calculating my speed of travel through time in approximately three years per second at maximum speed, I should now be standing in the year... Oh, my God. 92,000. Give or take a few thousand years in either direction. When this rain stops, I'll... I'll tell you what I can see. <laughs> huh? What's that? Must have fallen asleep. <clears throat> oh, to Leanne. There it is again. <laughs> but... <laughs> I stood up and looked around. There was the time machine, <laughs> now mostly dry, standing under a pleasant midday sun. I carefully removed the twin control sticks and slipped them into a pocket in my jacket. My clothes were still quite damp, and I wanted to kick myself again for not having thought to wear a knapsack with a few basic supplies. Is that some kind of bird? Uh, let's see. It's 5.45 a.m. 
must have slept for three hours. No telling what time it is here, though. Any more than I know what year it really is. It doesn't look like anyone lives here, either. It was then I noticed the statue. It was a large figure, the top of which was lost among the branches of the birch tree I had been sleeping under. It appeared to be made of marble and shaped very much like a winged sphinx. But the wings, instead of being folded against the body, were spread so that the huge creature appeared to hover over the lawn where I was standing. The base was of bronze with a dark green patina. And it occurred to me that no one had tended it or the garden in which it stood for many hundreds of years. Then I heard voices approaching me, coming through the bushes from every direction. I could see men and women of, of slender build and, and none of them taller than four or five feet at the most. Well, hello to you too. My name is Sam. Sam? I come from the distant past on that machine. Machine? Yes, and, and I am Sam. I'm Sam. That's right. I am Sam. Sam? That's right. Yes. Say, say. And and I'm a friend. It say Elwan. Elwan. He struck me as being a very beautiful and graceful creature, but indescribably frail. His skin was tan, but but not as from exposure to the sun. Its color was perfectly uniform in tone, and he had not a blemish or a mark on his face or arms. He was otherwise clothed, like all his companions, in robes of the purest indigo I ever saw. Have you any water? Drink. Another one of them addressed me. It suddenly occurred to me that my voice was too harsh and deep for them, so I simply nodded my head. At once the little fellow reached up, and gently touched my arm. <laughs> he seemed reassured that I was real, and he smiled. The first man also touched me then, and smiled. Ah, Sam Bobek la Elman? Say, say. This caused the rest of them to relax and smile and, and talk among themselves. And I noticed immediately that they tended to laugh a lot. Or to giggle, almost. In all of my days among these people whom I came to know as the Eloy, I never once saw one of them show the slightest sign of anger. I'm sitting on a cushion on the porch of the large stone temple-like structure where the Eloi, the group that found me, gathered to eat their supper and where they now appear to be going to spend the night. The little folk have been extremely kind to me. I spent much of the afternoon trying to converse with a fellow called Elman. It wasn't too difficult. Their own language is simple, the average sentence length being about two and a half words. 
His hearing seemed extremely acute, and he appeared to be learning my language as quickly as I learned theirs. At sundown, they all went inside, ate supper, which consisted mainly of uncooked fruits and vegetables. Now the moon is up, and I can just make out the statue of the Sphinx about 200 yards away, where my time machine sits among the birches and, oh, uh, rhododendrons. I sure am glad I brought a flashlight. In fact, I have yet to see any evidence that the Eloy use fire at all. If I wasn't certain that no such civilization as this ever existed in New York State, I might think I had traveled into the past instead of into the future. The hall behind me is entirely lit, if you can call it that, with what look like natural phosphorescent stones. The sliver of a moon gives more light than they have inside, and yet they all seem to be having a grand time, making music and chattering away as they do, and laughing. I'm okay here, Elman. Hard time. I. Okay. Say. Say. Sam Cade in a minute. I held up one finger, then foolishly I pointed to my watch. It's a It's a watch. It tells time. I pointed at the moon and made a sweeping gesture across the sky. Elman seemed troubled by this and and asked if he could touch the watch. Say, the dial glowed pale green. The numbers changed from 9:59 to 10 p.m. Elman drew back, then frowned. Machine, say, machine. It's okay, machine bonnet. I tried to reassure him, saying that the watch was bonnet, which I had understood to mean good in their language, but this only appeared to confuse him. He began to back away. I'll be along in a minute. For whatever reason, in the course of ninety thousand years, mankind appears to have lost touch with technology. I see no machines or electrical apparatus of any kind anywhere, nor do I even see tools about. It's a safe bet that some were required to build this hall behind me. I wonder who did that. It isn't in the best of repair, and how do they heat it in the winter? Well. This is doubtless just the first of many mysteries to be solved. I must go inside, or my hosts may get the wrong impression. More tomorrow. It's ten thirteen p.m. Sam Lyman signing off. At first light, the entire community arose and gathered together in the vast central nave of their community building. They ate a breakfast of fruit and the delightful grain they called narthex, or something like that. After breakfast, I took a walk to the top of a nearby hill. I, I think it was the same one we used to call Sugarloaf, and looked down to the southwest, where I saw the good old Hudson River flowing southward toward the ocean. This sight reassured me tremendously, as you can imagine. I knew where I was, something I was sure the Eloy did not. Although how useless this knowledge was to be, I had yet to realize. I was also elated, because seeing that I was right where I had set out from in three-dimensional space appeared to prove I had succeeded in traveling through time. It was to be the last happy moment I spent in that age.
Must be summer from the looks of these blueberries. Huge. I wonder the Eloy haven't picked them. What's this? A well? Hmm. Hello? Why would anybody dig a well way up here? When I came back down the hill, it was just past 8 a.m. I decided to go check on my time machine. I think it must have been over here. Yes, the statue is there and that clump of rhododendrons. No, maybe this isn't the lawn. Maybe it was... No, no, it was here. Right here. Where the... But wait, this looks like... Yes, this is where I turn the machine right side up. And here, it looks like someone dragged it. These are definitely scrape marks on the lawn. And here's more. It looks like they're headed for the statue. And then they... They just, it, it looks like they go right inside. Hello in there? Open up! <laughs> <laughs> 